Hello everyone, welcome back to Holding Fast to Faith. I'm your host, Brett Hill. Today we are continuing our study through the book of Revelation. So we're at Revelation chapter 10 this week. So if you don't have your Bible, please pause the podcast, run, get your Bible, come back and join us. I'll be reading from the King James Version. We're in Revelation chapter 10. Now, I want you to remember that every single time that we have one of these episodes in Revelation, I need you to know that there are lots of... uh, literary tools and things like that that uh, that is used to write and there's no sequential events uh uh, there are some, I, I may have to back that up a little bit, there are some sequential events, but the whole book in Revelation is not completely sequential. So you cannot say uh, chapter 9 came after chapter 8, ca- chapter 10 came after chapter 9, so on. Uh, so you have to understand that there's a lot of stuff in the Bible there in, in, in the book of Revelation that is just information that Jesus uh, kind of, you know, from my viewpoint, he kind of mixes it up to keep us from knowing everything and understanding everything completely because there's some things he just wants to keep secret until he's ready to reveal it. And and there's some of that that's in this chapter today. And there's also uh, things in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, that uh, he just doesn't want you to figure out and know exactly what those things are. So I want you to remember the the key points that can be figured out, the key things that are shown that can be defined are the key things that he wants you to remember. And some of the other stuff is just things that uh, maybe maybe you're going to find out later on after you're in heaven with him or after the thousand year millennium, whatever. But uh, he, he's got key things that are leaving breadcrumbs to point you toward uh, real information that you need to follow. And the other stuff is just... Uh, kind of uh, breadcrumbs point you towards something that you're going to find out later. So I, I don't want people to think that uh, because that the the book, the chapter numbers are sequential, that all the events in each chapter are sequential because they're not. And some of the stuff is personification and literary terms and, and figuratively and not literally. So there's a lot of stuff that we need to understand before we go into the study of the book of Revelation and trying to just figure everything out. Everything was not meant for us to know completely at this time. So with all those things in mind, we'll go ahead and start here because John is sitting here and he says, and I saw another mighty angel. So John says, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven and, and listen to how he describes it because when you start seeing some things before they come into perspective, you don't really understand exactly what he's describing until you go a little bit further on into the chapter. So he, he says, I saw a, a mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with the clouds. And that, that word literally means clouds and, and a rainbow. That rainbow is that same all-encompassing sphere of colors, not the arts that we're used to seeing in the in the skies, but just like we saw uh, over the throne in the, in the throne room in earlier episodes of Revelation. So he, he sees this mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with clouds and had a rainbow encompassing his head and his face was like the rays of the sun, the brightness of the sun and his feet was like pillars of fire, pillars that support a, a great big building but they were on fire and uh, that word mighty here is Strong's G2478 and it's Iskrios. It's one of it's it means of, of one who has strength of soul to sustain the attacks of Satan. 
Satan strong and therefore exhibiting many excellencies. And I, you know that when you start seeing the hints and the words and the definitions of some of these words uh, found in here, it starts pointing you toward who you might think that this uh, mighty angel, and, and remember that that word angel is the Greek word angelos, it literally just means messenger. So it could actually be an angel, it could be John the Baptist, it could be John the Revelator, it could be Jesus, it could be one of the uh, archangels, it could be me or you, it could be a pastor, depending on the use of the word here. So don't always get wrapped up in an angelic being with being with uh, with angel wings on their back every time you see the word angel because that's just not effective. So he, he saw someone mighty who had strength of soul to sustain the attacks of Satan. In other words, he wasn't affected by the attacks of Satan. The Satan's attacks just run right off his back like a like water on a duck's back, so to speak. And he exhibited many excellencies. And I, you know, that's pointing me towards someone I think it might be. And we'll just read on because uh, I, I don't want to give you any kind of uh, determination who that might be because the Bible doesn't tell us. But that word sun there is Strong's G2246, Elehos, the, the rays of the sun, the light of the day. So whoever this was who was clothed in the clouds, their face was bright as the sun, shining with bright light. And now the scriptures don't tell us who the messenger is. Although this messenger has many Christ-like features, it's most likely a very highly ranking angel with great authority given to him. And, and some people think that it may be Gabriel because the name Gabriel himself means mighty one. It also could be an image that, it, that is being portrayed that God gives to uh, John as a, as a vision to show the size of Christ's power and authority by the vision allowing John to see this giant-sized angel, messenger, or, or form of Christ so that he would have a humanistic visual of how big Christ is compared to man. So remember the literary tools that we talk about. <clears throat> so let's look on in verse two it, it, because it says this great big being that was clothed in the clouds and had the face of a sun, he had his hand on a, in his hand, a little book and it was open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And this word Greek for little book actually translates as little book. And, and what would it be little compared to what? You know, it, it's little. Anything would be little compared to this enormous messenger holding the book. Because anything would look little to him. His right foot is walking on water and his left foot is standing on the earth while his body is so tall that he's clothed in the clouds and his face looks like the sun. And this is why it seems to be a vision given to John to help his humanistic imagination see a size, the power and the authority that Jesus truly has. Listen, I, I only know one person who has the ability to walk on water. Now, now all the angels in heaven may be able to do that, but there's only been one recorded in the history of time that has done that. And, and again, I'm just looking at what things are pointing toward. I'm not drawing any conclusions here, but look at verse 3 because he, this angelic being, this messenger that was standing into the clouds and, and had one foot on the seas and one foot on the earth, 
he cried with a loud voice and went as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, those seven thunders uttered their voices again. And John used the same language right here that was used in the throne room in earlier chapters that described God's voice coming from the throne. Thunders in multiple voices, symbolizing God's resounding voice traveling throughout the universe in all directions and being heard in all creation simultaneously. Seven thunders could be because of the seven spirits represented in the spirit of God himself. But either way, this messenger is sporting some extremely powerful authority by the way he stands above the earth and sees and transcends above the clouds. So like I said, if, if it's not Christ personified, then it's an angel putting on display the authority of God himself and he's holding a little book. But look what happens in verse number four because it says, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, that means when the spirit of God has spoken, I, talking about John, I, John, was about to write something. I was about to put down what the voices was speaking to me. I heard what he was saying and I was trying to write them down and then I heard a voice Phone uttered words in singular voice from heaven saying unto me. So this is a different voice speaking to him other than the one that had the seven thunders speaking to him from the great big angel. He says that this other voice told him, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. In other words, shut your mouth. Don't, don't speak anything. Don't write it down. Put the pen down. I don't want anybody to hear it. That word seal up there is a singular word in the Greek that means phlogizo. It's, it's the same word we're familiar with uh, from the past chapters because John used it to describe the seven seals, the seal of God and the seal of the Spirit. It's a word that's used to describe the manner on which an important message or document is sealed shut to prevent the information that's in that document from becoming known to others. This voice is saying, I've told you these things, but keep your mouth shut and don't tell anyone else about it. So many people look at this passage as Christ coming to earth, giving his word, this great big figure standing on the water and on the earth, showing the strength and the power. You know, it's not always the size of the person, but we, we, make, this, we make images on this earth, we, we see things in our humanistic eyes. Uh, we see images, and when we make images big and we talk about things big, it shows the size and the power and authority of stuff. So this many look at this passage as Christ himself uh, coming to earth, not, not right there in the middle of the tribulation. Think about this. This is a vision that God is giving John, and it, it has nothing to do with the seven seals being opened up right now. It's God is reminding John, God is showing John a vision. So right here, uh, many look like it, it could possibly be Christ coming to the earth, giving his word, the little book, and then keeping the mystery of his return a secret by telling John not to write the mystery. Now, I'm not saying that that's what it is. I'm speculating here just a second here because there's many things that God does not want us to know the end or the outcome of right now. So what we can certainly take from this passage is that God does have some things that he don't want to reveal to us just yet because he wants us to love him and trust him as the father that he is and have some faith in him. And an example of this, is if the mystery that was told uh, was actually the time of the rapture of the church or the time of the return of Jesus Christ, uh, 
coming in the in the thousand year millennium, whichever one it might be. Let's let's just say it might be the rapture. So uh, mankind would likely party up, not to be so serious about Jesus and and his commandments, and they would just party up right up until the day before the rapture was to take place. And this isn't a true relationship. That's simply a bunch of selfish people not wanting to miss heaven. So they do whatever they want to do. They be selfish. They live it up knowing that the date that, that the rapture is going to take place is coming up next week. And they, they get right up to Saturday afternoon knowing that the rapture is going to take place that Sunday morning. And look, I'm just personifying here. I'm, I'm making examples. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just using this to tell you that humans would, uh, as mankind's habitual effects in their own lives are, they would party right up to that Saturday afternoon and then that night they would get themselves right with God. They would get on their knees and they'd pray and say, oh Lord, forgive me and Lord, make me ready for your rapture so that when Sunday morning came, they would be ready to go. But most of those people would not be ready to go. Most of their prayers would be something superficial. It wasn't. Be, it wouldn't be deep. And the, mainly because it takes the Spirit of God to call you into repentance. You can't just do it because you want to do it. But whatever the mystery was that was spoken to John, God had his purpose for concealing it from mankind until he wanted to reveal it. So whatever that was, and we don't know what it is, we'll find out one day, but not today, because I'm not going to be able to tell you, because God's mysteries is God's mysteries. That's, that's not something we can predict or tell you, and I'm not going to pretend that I know God's mind about everything. But let's look at verse number five. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and he swore by him that liveth forever and ever. We, we saw that mentioned in God, God the Father in the throne room in previous chapters that he was the one that lived forever and ever. So he sweared by the Father who created heaven and the things that they are in and the, and the earth and the things that's in the earth and the sea and the things that's in the sea and that there should be time no longer. So he's praying right now in the name of God and the authority of God and the reputation of God. He's declaring that time is over as of right now. And he continues his statement here. We're still into this vision here in verse number seven, because even though time is standing still, he throws that word but in. Let's don't pay attention to what I said just yet, because in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound Listen, that tells us that the seventh seal isn't broken yet. Somewhere between the sixth and seventh seal, this vision has been given to John to remind him of something. And now he's saying, this angel, this messenger saying, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he'll begin to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So that word finished is the Greek word teleho. It, it means bring to a close, that it will end. The mysteries will end. It'll all be over. We'll know the mystery of God has been declared to the prophets. Time is coming to an end, and it has been declared to his prophets. So how was it declared? How did God declare the, his mysteries to the prophets? It was written just like what John is writing right now. Listen on to what the powerful messenger and what this voice in heaven has say, said to the earth uh, right in the middle of all this. And the voice that I heard from heaven speak, not the messenger, verse number eight, the voice that I heard from heaven spake unto me, go, take that little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. 
Now, I want to tell you, an open book is a literary term. Uh, an open book, when you say my life's an open book, it means it's available to you. You can look and see whatever you want to. An open book symbolizes the content is still available. A closed book symbolizes finished, completer, or too late. Uh, this open book literally just means that the words that's in the book can still be useful to be you. You're still, you still have access to this book. So the angel told John to take the book, but also made it understandable that the reader is in John's position in this particular vision. So the reader, yourself, me, you, all of us, are in John's position here in the story, and you and I, the reader, should take the book too, just like John did. It's a, it's a vision for us. It was given to John for all the people that read it. So look at verse 9. It says, I... And went and I went unto the angel, this is John, and it should be a vision of you seeing yourself doing the same thing. I went to the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Now this is the messenger, the great big messenger standing on the water and the earth with his head in the clouds. This messenger said, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And you, you may be thinking, my goodness, what in the world does that mean? I'm supposed to pick up a Bible or I'm supposed to pick up a book or I'm supposed to throw some mustard or something on a book and just go to crunching down and eating the paper. That's not what it's saying. Remember the literary terms. Eat it up is a literary term that is also meant metaphorically or figuratively speaking. So to eat it up, means to devour and completely consume something, leaving nothing left over. This messenger is telling John and us, the reader, to completely take in, spiritually devour, the book's content. To make our belly bitter is also, metaphorically speaking, of the contents of the book will render us angry at times. It will irritate us. It'll grieve us and make us bitter at times because you and I are not used to the innermost changes in ourselves and our selfish mindsets and our selfish mentalities that this book, the contents of this book will do to us. When you read the scripture, look, it, the, the word sweet as honey in our mouths means that we'll love to speak those words. I know everybody likes to talk about Jesus. Everybody likes to have conversations about the scripture. We all love the sounds of freedom, the sounds of liberty, and the sounds of grace coming from God's contents in the book and all the stuff that the book proclaims. But when it comes to swallowing it, when it comes to taking it in and the changes that it must bring to our lives, well, that's where the book just seems to get bitter when you have to live it out and just not talk it because you, you think, you, wait a minute, you mean I've got to love my neighbor, the one that cusses me all the time, the one that puts me down? And uh, This book tells me that I'm supposed to go over and apologize to that person. I'm supposed to go over and love that person. Well, yeah, because Jesus said, love thy neighbor as you love yourself. And he said that went along with loving God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. That Those two commandments wrap up the whole content of the book. And it's telling you that all these things that you used to do selfishly and all the things that's in your life that, that you didn't love anybody but yourself or anybody that's in your close-knit circle was the only ones that you love. The book is telling you to do other things. The book is telling you to quit watching TV a thousand hours a week. And, and you know, I know there's not a thousand hours a week, but 
It's telling you to get up off the, the couch and get up off the TV and read the book and do some praying and spend some time with God and change the way you think. Put on the mind of Christ. Follow the word of God. Live it out. And our bodies just don't like that. Our bodies don't like, uh, our mindset don't like having to change from what we're used to doing. We, we don't like transformation in our own lives sometimes and, and the book will be bitter. You know, a lot of people like to come to church and they like to uh, sit on the pews and, and talk about things in the church and they like to quote scripture and they'll raise their hands and they'll praise the Lord and they'll, they'll talk about Jesus and how much they love him and all this other stuff. But when they go outside, they go right back to the lifestyle that they had before they walked into the house of God because they don't like the change that the book tells them to have. There's people walking out of church all the time now. They're leaving churches. They, they don't like what the church is teaching them because they have selfish lives. They have their own mindset. They have their own goals in their lives and they don't want God to be part of it. And the Bible is saying here, right here in this story, that this big messenger, this, this one that's portraying the image of Christ is saying, take my book and eat it up, devour everything, walk it out and live it. It's going to be tasting good to you while you're reading it, but it's going to become bitter in your life because it's going to be hard to swallow. It's going to be hard for you to change. It's going to be hard for you to do these things. But later on, as you get used to the changes that I lead in you, it's going to be something you're going to get used to and you're going to like it and you're going to love it and you're going to want some more of it. Like that old song says, but we have to eat the book. We have to walk it out. Just believing in Jesus Christ and, and calling him King of Kings and Lord of Lords and not paying attention to his words is not enough. He's telling us, if you love me, do what I say. If you, if I'll call you my friend, if you follow what I say, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's statements all throughout the Bible that are if then statements. If you want to be called one of my disciples, you've got to follow me. And what if you're going to follow me, what I want you to follow is in my little book that I've left you. The word that I came to this earth in person as a human being, just like you. I was God in the fullness in a human body. And I brought you my word. I brought you God's word here in the, in the form of a volume of a book, just like the Bible says. And that's the book that you need to consume. Now, John looks at this and John agreed to that bitter sweetness and he consumed the book in verse number 10, just like we need to consume the book in verse number 10 because look, he says, I, talking about John, took that little book out of the angel's hands and I ate it up. I consumed it. I read it. I took it in. I, I did what I was supposed to do and it was in my mouth sweet as honey while I was reading it and as soon as I had eaten it up, my belly got bitter. Well, what is it? Because it's telling you, you got to make some changes in your life. And listen, think about it. John was chosen by Jesus when he came as a man, yet he was still God in man's body. And he was still this giant messenger sent from God that walked the earth and walked on the water. And he brought the word that brought change and challenge to the religious sect. And listen, even Nicodemus loved the sound of Jesus's words, but he couldn't bring himself to completely follow as seen in John chapter three. What about the rich man that claimed to have followed all the commandments and he, he got bitter in his stomach when Jesus told him to sell off all his riches to the poor? The reason why Jesus told him that is because he knew that the rich man had put all of his love in his riches. He was chasing his riches. He was proud of his riches and all of his accomplishments. And Jesus didn't want him worshiping his riches. He wanted him worship God, worshiping God the Father. So he said, let's get these riches out of the picture so that you can point your 
true worship in the direction it needs to go. The guy walked off with a bitter stomach. When he took in the word of God, he didn't like what was said to him. He didn't want to bring those changes. He rejected those changes. It was bitter to him. That's what this angel was saying here. The word of God sounds great to so many people until they come to the knowledge that the word is worthless to them unless they actually allow it to change them and they live it out. So let's look on at verse 11. And he said unto me, this, this angel, this, this great big angel with his foot in the water and a foot on the foot on the earth and his, and his body up in the clouds and his face shining like the sun, he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, how does that verse compare to Matthew 28 and 19, verse 20? Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Listen, this this verse right here is telling chapter 10 is saying that it's it's to, it's a reminder to those who want to follow Christ and submit to his authority that they must read the book consume the book and become what the book requires us to be and that means to prophesy and that, that word prophesy there's the Greek word uh, prophet yuho I think I'm saying that right, but it's Strong's G4395. If you have a concordance, look it up. It, it literally means to speak forth by divine inspiration with the idea of foretelling future events pertaining especially to the kingdom of God. Now, you're not some, some fortune teller and things like that because you're foretelling future events. The Bible tell us, tells us that there's future events coming. He tells us there's the rapture of the church. He tells us there's the second coming of Christ. He tells us there's tribulation coming. He tells us there's all kinds of things coming, earthquakes in diverse places and, and wars and rumors of wars and, and Israel will be surrounded by her enemies and armies will have her encompassed and it will look like the end of the world is coming. You're not prophesying anything that's trying to be a fortune teller. You're repeating what's in the book. So don't think that you don't have the right to say that when you have the right to say what's in the book. God's telling us that we need to eat the book, consume the book, live by the book, and walk out the book, and share the book to other people. And it also means to break forth under sudden impulse in praise and divine counsel, under like the impromptu to, to just on the spur of the moment be able to teach and refute and reprove and admonish and comfort others with the words in the book. And it means to do this before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And, and God wants us to do that. Now that's, that's the thing, that's the facts that we can pull out of these words and, and pull out of these scriptures. Because we know throughout the Bible, throughout the entire book, that that was the idea that God wanted us all to do. To go. Go and preach the gospel. Share what has transformed us so it will transform other people. And, and I know that a lot of people use verse number 11 to think that, hey, thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, and tongues, and kings. That, oh, look at there. That, that's got to be the verse that says John, the revelator, is going to be one of those two witnesses that prophesies in the streets in the middle of the tribulation. Listen, don't go there. It may possibly be, but no, let's don't try to draw facts out of something that we just don't know. We don't know who those two messengers are going to be, who those two prophets are going to be. But we do know that those two prophets are going to be there and whoever they are, they're God sent. Let's leave it at that and not try to draw a bunch of conclusions. But what we can draw a conclusion is that he told us to eat the book, 
take part of the book, consume the book, let the book change us, let the bitterness get into our flesh and change our flesh into what he wants us to be, and then share the information that's in that book to everybody that we can share it to. That's the number one thing that he's saying here. So maybe right in the middle of all the book of Revelation, we've we've heard about the locust and the smoke and the and the beast and, and all these things and the earthquake and the mountain flipping upside down and the and the sun going dark and the moon going and dark and all these problems that's coming up on the earth and right in the middle of that maybe God is just sending his son Jesus to remind us right here in verse 10 and say hey look John hey look reader I know I've told you about all this stuff that's coming but it ain't happened yet it's not here yet. You've still got some time. I want to explain to you my grace. You can look at me and see how big and powerful I am to be able to stop these things from happening in your life and be able to stop these things from, from causing you and your loved ones to have to suffer through those things if you'll just take in my word and read it and do what it says and share it with other people because all these people that's getting killed in the middle of the tribulation, all this chaos that's coming, if you'll take my book and consume it and live it out, you can help me help those people not go through this stuff and you'll be up here in heaven with me when all that's going on and it, and it won't be chaos and tribulation and, and death in a painful way for you and those people that you love. There's still time. None of this has happened yet. So maybe it's just a vision that he stops right in the middle of all this and says, hey, look, I know you're getting stirred up. I know this is giving you nightmares. I, I know this is causing problems with you looking at all this stuff and thinking, oh my goodness, mankind has got to go through this. Humans have got to go through this. There's going to be people here to see all that and experience this terrible, awful circumstance on this earth. And, and G, it just picture right here that Jesus stops and says, hey, time out. Come here, John. Look, you see how big I am. I'm telling you this stuff ahead of time, but it hasn't happened yet. If you'll take my word and live by my word and not only live by my word and do what it tells you to do, but go out and serve the other people, the word, let these other people consume my word and be changed and transformed too. And none of you will have to go through this. It's another picture of my form of grace. If you'll just take it in, and listen to me, before this stuff happens, you will never experience it. That's what I'm getting out of chapter 10, and that's what you should get out of chapter 10, because Jesus is full of grace and mercy. He doesn't want anybody to go through this stuff. It's not his will that any should perish, but everyone should come into the knowledge of the salvation of God and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pay attention to the great big messenger, walking on the water and walking on the earth, the God of our heavens that has sent his very own son to die in your place to save you from your own sins and to keep you out of this tribulation. He's handing you his book. And he's saying, look at my word. Receive my word. If you'll take in my word and live by it, you'll never experience that stuff. You'll be up there with me and I will save you from the wrath that is coming onto this earth. I'll save you from your sins. And most of all, I'll save you from a living, burning hell 
where Satan and all of his demons are at. You won't have to go there if you'll trust in me and turn to me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I just ask you, God, that this word sinks into your people today, all the listeners today. Father, if you would just let your Holy Spirit convict them, God, of anything that's wrong in their lives, Lord, that they would come into you and ask forgiveness, Father, according to your word and according to your promise. You said if we would turn to you, have faith in you and trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins, God, that you would be faithful and just to do just that, God, and forgive us and take us in as one of your own and you would come into our heart and live your life through us. God, I I pray that for every listener today, God, that that happens to them, Lord, because they put their trust in you and they've taken your book and they read your word and they received you as Lord and Savior. God, right now, I pray this over the listeners. I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege I have to serve you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray and give you thanks. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. Share this podcast with everybody you can so that everybody can receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and be ready when he comes back. God bless you. We'll see you on the next one.